You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. It is week four now that we have been in Jeremiah, and we still have not reached even part two of the outline of the book. Uh, We haven't even gotten halfway through the book. Uh, But I knew that I would like to take a little bit of extra time in these books here that we have read over and over and over again and maybe not knowing exactly what is going on. I do believe we understand the majority of what's going on in books like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Lamentations, things like that in the prophets. But why is what is written being written and what what is the flow of the book and the transitions of the book? And uh, right now, again, chapters 1 through 25, last week we got up to chapter 15. This week we're going to get from 16 to 20. But chapters 1 through 25 are all part 1 of the outline that we gave at the beginning for Jeremiah. Part 1 being condemnation, accusation, if you will, and warning against Judah. Remember that Isaiah was in the, uh, to the northern kingdom in there and, and giving a lot of uh, prophecies as far as all of Israel was concerned. And am I thinking right here? I believe I'm thinking right. I have a hard time with Isaiah and Jeremiah. In fact, even last week I said something where God told Isaiah, no weapon formed against thee shall prosper. That, that was not Jeremiah, that was Isaiah. So I'm, I mixed up Peter and Paul and I mix up Isaiah and Jeremiah sometimes. So I'm, I'm wanting to be careful here. But um, Jeremiah, that first part, from chapter 1 through 25, accusation and warning against Judah. By the time you reach chapter 13 of Jeremiah, I wrote a little note here. This is kind of what I've seen in my study and in the timeline of everything. From what I see between chapter 12 of Jeremiah and chapter 13 of Jeremiah, that is when Assyria falls to Babylon. Now remember kind of the geography here. You have the northern kingdom of Israel. You have the southern kingdom of Judah. You have Egypt down to the southwest. And you have uh, Edom uh, here. And then you had to the southeast, you had Babylon. To the northeast, you had Assyria. And God kept on telling Jeremiah that this this army is going to come from the north. An army is going to come from the north and going to invade and take people captive. If they would have listened to Isaiah, they would have known that was Babylon that God was talking about, which means Assyria has to fall to Babylon in order for Babylon to be able to come from the north. And from what I see between chapter 12 and chapter 13 is when that takes place. So from there on, and not all of Jeremiah is in chronological order, and we'll, br- we'll bring that out when it comes to it, but from there on, you need to understand that when Jeremiah is preaching and saying disobedience to God's law is going to bring judgment, they have just seen this play out in front of their eyes. They've just seen this happen to the northern kingdom of Israel when Assyria came, and now they've, I mean, they're all scattered abroad in Assyria, and now Assyria has even fallen. To Babylon. So they are seeing step by step that God's word is coming true. And yet, Jeremiah comes and says, this is what's going to happen. And they say, no, it's not. Even though everything that the Lord said up to this point has come true. And Jeremiah has a little bit of an issue with that with the people, and it's going to come out today. And here's what I'm going to tell you to preface this before we get into the review. Remember what I've tried to tell you as far as Jeremiah is concerned. The man and his message are one. 
You cannot separate the man from his message. His heart was so burdened for his people, and I have no doubt that he cried often when he was preaching to his people. It gets to the point where he even has back and forth conversations with God. Did you lie to me? This, I don't understand why the prophets are saying one thing and you're saying another, and he's standing almost as an advocate before the people, saying, you promised in your word that repentance brings mercy, but God, you keep on saying that mercy is nowhere to be found and that everything is hopeless, and you keep on telling me to stop praying for my people. Did you lie to me? Did you lie in your word? No, I'm not saying that that's right. At least it's honest, but I'm not saying that it's right. We need to trust the Lord. But many men, when you look back, and you, uh, Abraham had moments like that, and Moses had Moses like, uh, moments like that. Moses had most moments like that. Elijah had moments like that. Jeremiah had moments like that, where he genuinely questioned God. He said, Lord, I know that you're right, but let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Why do the wicked seem to, seem to prosper? How come when somebody from Anathoth, my hometown, how come one of those people who doesn't have a godly commission on his life, can stand up in front of my hometown and say, let's kill Jeremiah, and everyone listens and gets on his side. But I stand up on your behalf and nobody listens. Why does that happen? That doesn't make sense to me. And he's trying to have this conversation with the Lord, and what I need you to understand, or you will not understand the application of my message tonight. Here's the thing. We'll go through what 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20 are all about, but if you don't put your... Jeremiah's shoes. If you don't see that this man, he wasn't necessarily an emotional man, but he was a caring man. He was a loving man. He was a man whose only desire was for his people to repent so that they wouldn't have to go through what the northern kingdom has just gone through. It was awful. Assyria was a terrible, terrible nation. If you hear about some of the things that um, some of the uh, the Japanese soldiers did in, in uh, the world wars. And the soldiers were describing what those Japanese soldiers would do to the people when they came and took people captive and put them into camps. It was horrible, horrible things. When you read about what the German, the German army did under the, Nazi, uh, under the Nazis, it's horrible. And it's the same thing when people are observing these Assyrians coming into Canaan, to Israel's land, to God's land and ravaging the people. It was horrible. That's the last thing that Jeremiah wanted to see to Judah. And you need to understand, I, I hear something, and I think I'm a little sensitive here, Brother, Brother Scott. Can we turn me down just a little bit? Jeremiah, that's the last thing that he wants, and I need you to understand, I need you to think, when Jeremiah stands up in the temple sermon, didn't he? from chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10, and he pours out his heart to his people and says, you're, you're sinning against God. Look at all the injustice, the immorality, the adultery, the idolatry. Even the religious people are, are just being hypocritical. Even the leaders are corrupt. And on top of all that, the people love to have it so. My people, God's people, love that this is going on. What's happening here? And he's calling them to return and repent. Don't be like your father's. Don't follow in the disobedience of your fathers. Why don't you be different? And yet you're following in the exact same way. And what do you expect is going to happen? Do you think anything different is going to happen from the punishment that came upon your fathers? Why do you think you're going to get away from it? Because you're serving these little idols? These little idols aren't going to save you. 
One day this city is going to be burnt down to the ground and you're going to be sitting crying like a widow in, in, in front of these idols that you thought would save you. Riches can't save you. Might can't save you. Wisdom can't save you. A personal relationship with God is what saves from punishment. Now we know that that comes through faith in his son. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now Messiah was to come in their time. What was the picture of the Messiah to come in their time? The sacrifices and the offerings. But that wasn't to be done. They weren't just to go to the temple and do these sacrifices and offerings so that they can atone for their sin and then just go right back out and live the exact same way. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound is what the Bible asks in, New Test in the New Testament. Well, back then, he said, why are you coming in doing all these sacrifices and offerings? Lord, forgive us of our sin. Well, we're clean. Now let's go out and do it again. God asked at one point, would a lady, would a wife who's cheating on her husband be invited by her husband to come home and eat at his table like nothing was wrong? And yet his people, Jeremiah's people, God's people, are walking out into the world. There's more idols in Jerusalem than there are streets in the city. There's more idols in Jerusalem than there are cities in Judah. And God says, and you think you're going to come into my temple and worship me like everything's fine? No, that's not how it works. And it broke Jeremiah's heart. But he keeps on saying, repent, repent, repent. But what does God keep saying back? Jeremiah, it's not going to happen. Stop praying for these people. A leopard would soon change its spots. An Ethiopian would sooner change its skin than my people would repent. Israel was prideful hardened by their sin. In fact, I mean, the, the men from Jeremiah's hometown wanted to kill him. But as Jeremiah's fellow countrymen had turned against him, God says, my entire country has turned against me. All my nation has turned against me. The consequences for sin were everywhere. There's a drought. Um, where, where's the drought that took place? I think in chapter 14, there's a dearth in the land. Animals are dying. There's no water anywhere. People are turning against one another. Family can't trust family because of all the injustice that's happening in the land. Consequences for sin are everywhere. And on top of all of this, God keeps telling Jeremiah, tell the people they keep on walking this way. They're going to go into captivity and it's going to get a lot worse. How is Jeremiah feeling, do you think? as he is pleading to get his people to repent, to avoid the punishment to come, but God is using terms that seem hopeless. In fact, the only hope that God talks about is after the punishment comes. He says, after the punishment, then there's going to be a remnant, then they'll return, and then I'll save the people. In fact, I won't even give those people a chance to come close to me again. I'll give all the nations a chance to come close to me again, not just Jews and Gentiles. But it's after punishment. And where we ended last week, we saw Jeremiah and God in a very serious conversation. Look in chapter 15, verse 18. Here's Jeremiah asking God a question. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed? Wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar and as waters that fail? Therefore, thus saith the Lord, if thou return, then will I bring thee again, and thou shalt stand for me. We know what that means from last week. And if thou take forth the precious from the vial, thou shalt be as my mouth. Let them return unto thee, but return not thou unto them. And I will make thee unto this people a fenced brazen wall, and they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. 
For I am with thee to save thee and to deliver thee, saith the Lord, and I will deliver thee out of the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem thee out of the hand of the terrible. Now, as comforting as that would be to Jeremiah, there's probably a portion of that that is not comforting. You see what I mean? Jeremiah, I'm with you. You're not, I'm not going to let anybody take your life. I'm, I'm going to be with you the entire time. But prepare yourself. It's only going to get worse. If you have worn with the footmen and they have wearied thee, how shalt thou contend with the horses? God asks him in chapter 12, verse 5. So I want you to think of all that Jeremiah has gone through already and all that he sees coming through the visions and the prophecies that God is giving to him about his people. Heavenly Father, help us during this time to understand this book just a little bit more. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. We pick up in chapter 16. Jeremiah is called to give another sign to Judah. And this sign in verses 1 through 9 comes in three living object lessons. We use object lessons for the bus to kind of drive home a point. Almost like a, a visual parable, if you will. Well, another sign is to be given to Judah through these three object lessons. Object lesson number one, no family. Jeremiah was not to marry or to have children. And this was to show that the family life in Judah was going to be disrupted. It was a living object lesson. Number two, no funerals. Jeremiah was not supposed to mourn for any of the dead. And this was to show that when Judah was taken captive, they wouldn't even have time to mourn for the people who died in the process. Number three object lesson, no feasts, no family, no funerals, no feasts. And the feasts, Jeremiah was not to attend any parties or gatherings. This was to show that God's judgment is going to remove all causes of celebration. Now, put yourself back in Israeli culture, in, in Jewish culture back then, to refrain from these three things was incredibly strange. Not to take part in a funeral or not to take part in a feast or not to marry somebody. Especially Jeremiah was a priest. So not to marry as a priest was something very strange. And it would have caused the people around him to ask, what are you doing? We notice you're not doing any of these things. And God gives him the answer. When the people ask you, he says in 10 through 13 of this chapter, when the people ask you, tell them, I am doing this to picture your sin. Because of your sin, all of you are soon going to come to a time where no one's going to be able to marry, no one's going to be able to mourn, and no one's going to have anything to celebrate anymore. In fact, if you continue in your sin, you're going to be taken captive into a land that they know not. But then the Lord says something incredible that we need to see in this chapter here in verse 14 and 15. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it, shall be no, that it shall no more be said, the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But here's what's going to be said. The Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north. And from all the lands whither he had driven them. And I will bring them again into their land that I gave to their fathers. Do we remember in Exodus when God delivered his people from Egypt? He gave Moses signs for the people to believe. He, the, the rod turned into a serpent. His hand became leprous. What other signs did he give? He sent the ten plagues. He parted the Red Sea. 
He gave them manna in the wilderness. Uh, he sweetened the waters of Mara. He gave quail, um, water from a rock. He gave all those signs. And over and over and over and over, God says, when I give this sign, the reason I'm doing this is so that ye may know that I am the Lord. Read Exodus. He says it over and over. So that ye may know that I am the Lord. Why did they need to know that? Because they've been living for 400 years in Egypt that serves multiple gods. In their idea, God is pretty much anything that you ascribe worthiness to. God says, I'm going to send plagues that attack all of those gods so that you see I am greater than them. And then I'm going to show you all these things so that you know that I am the Lord, only one. There is only one God to serve. But the people have forgotten that lesson. They forgot that lesson. How do we know that? Because they're worshiping everything. They're worshiping all the idols. Plus God, yeah, let's go to the temple and worship, sure. But they're also worshiping Baal and Astaroth and Molech and all these different things. They have forgotten the lesson that God was the only God. And even when they worship God, they forgot his character. They forgot he was a holy God. So you can't bring your sin into the temple. They forgot he was a righteous God. They forgot that he was a just God. So God says, I'm going to have to teach you the lesson of Egypt all over again. And this generation is no longer going to say, our God is the God that brought us out of Egypt. You're going to start saying, our God is the God that brought us out of Babylon. I'm going to have to teach you all over again. I'm going to put you back into a land that you don't know, like you were in Egypt, so that I can make you into the people that I need you to be. And by the way, all the way up to this date, the Israeli people, the Jewish people, have never engaged in idolatry. You realize that? The Jewish people have never worshipped another god other than Jehovah since captivity. Ever. They understand that Jehovah is God, or Yahweh, or Ehya is God, who they call him. They understand that. Now they don't see that Jesus is Messiah, so you get that. But they've never engaged. They learned their lesson through Babylon what they lost in Egypt, and that's a lesson to us. Lessons learned but then forgotten have to be learned again. So as your fathers knew me as the God that brought them out of Egypt, you're going to know me as the God that brought you out of Babylon. You're going to have to learn those lessons again. And in order for this to happen, that's why God keeps telling Jeremiah, they have to be punished. They have to go to Babylon in order for them to learn those lessons. There's no other way for them to learn them. Therefore, they have to be punished. And for a moment, Jeremiah seems to understand. In verse, um, let's see here, read verse 18 of chapter 16. This is what God says. And first, before I can bring them back, before I can teach them all these lessons, first I will recompense their iniquity and their sin double. Because they have defiled my land, they have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable things. But one day I will bring them back and they'll learn those lessons and they'll know that I am the Lord. Jeremiah says this in verse 19, O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. Jeremiah says if you are going to do that big of a deliverance, if you're going to teach that big of a lesson, even the Gentiles will get that one. And God affirms that answer in verse 20 and 21. He says, yeah, you're exactly right. Shall a man make gods unto himself and they are no gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once 
cause them to know, I will cause them to know mine hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. That is exactly right. So Jeremiah seems to be understanding just a little bit here, okay? Captivity has to come from a horrible nation of Babylon. Such desperate measures, right? But Judah is in a desperate situation. The Bible starts in chapter 17. God starts in chapter 17 by saying, The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, and with the point of a diamond it is graven upon the table of their heart and upon the horns of your altars. Judah's punishment had to be severe. It couldn't simply be a slap on the wrist. It couldn't just be a little drought for a couple months. It couldn't just be a rebuke from a prophet. The punishment had to reach deep down into their heart because that's where their sin was. Their sin was a heart problem. They had forsaken God in their hearts. Maybe they went to the temple and said everything was fine with their mouth, but with their heart, they had forsaken God. Now, what's wrong with following your heart? Disney tells us to follow our heart, so what's wrong with following our heart? Chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He answers that question in chapter 10. I, the Lord, search the hearts. Only God can know our hearts. He's the one who searches our hearts, and he does not like what he's finding in Judah's heart right now. The question then for us is, does he like what he finds in yours? Maybe our mouth is just fine, but God searches the heart. Does he like what he finds? If he doesn't, punishment has to come. Lessons have to be learned. Even lessons that we have learned before that maybe we have forgotten. I constantly have to go through the same thing. Why? Are you learning your lesson? Make sure we learn our lesson. All the riches in verse 11, I, he, this is kind of a, a different commentators argue about this, but I see it as being pretty clear. Verse 11, as the partridge sitteth on eggs and hatcheth them not, so he that getteth riches and not by right shall leave them in the midst of his days and at his end shall be a fool. He's basically saying all the riches that Judah has found by following their heart will be taken away before you can enjoy it at all. Just like a partridge sits on, a, on an egg and doesn't hatch it. And if you kind of study nature a little bit, the partridge is a really weird bird, okay? Um, and it's not in a pear tree. Uh, so Jeremiah agrees. Uh, look in verse 12. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. From the beginning, when we followed you and when we obeyed you, your people were exalted. Your sanctuary was exalted. It was a high place. But now that we're disobeying you, what do we expect to happen? Do we expect his throne and his sanctuary to still be held in high esteem among the nations? Do we expect their temple worship and all of their religiosity to be held in high esteem in God's eyes when they're disobeying? Of course not. He says in verse 13, they're going to be brought low. Disobedience brings you low. Obedience, the Lord will exalt you because obedience takes humility. All right, moving, moving on now. Jeremiah transitions into a prayer, okay? Now, Jeremiah had been prophesying now for years that punishment was coming on Judah's sin, but in all that time, not one person believed. He had not one convert the entire time he was preaching. 
In fact, what the people would say when they, when they heard Jeremiah preach, they would say, Jeremiah, if your word is true, if your word is of the Lord, then why isn't it coming to pass? Let the, let the Lord's word come to pass and we'll believe you. Now, what they didn't understand is if the Lord's word comes to pass, it's too late. That's captivity at that point. But look what they say in verse 15. Behold, they say unto me, Jeremiah is praying, God, they say unto me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. You keep on telling us, that you've been telling us this for years, that captivity is going to come and hasn't come yet. So how are we supposed to believe you? So in his prayer, he says, Lord, can you vindicate me? Can you show these people that I am telling them the truth? Can you let just one of the things that I've told them come true? And so God says, all right, here's one. He gives Jeremiah a message that can be easily proven because they're asking in verse 15, where is the word of the Lord? Verse 20, the Bible says, hear ye the word of the Lord. All right, you want the word of the Lord? Here it is. Keep the Sabbath day. That's God's new message to Jeremiah. Tell them, keep the Sabbath day. Hallow the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Stop buying and selling and working on it, and I will bless you. And if you don't do that, then you will be judged. And the people say, no, we're not going to do that. So you can't come back and say, Jeremiah, tell us the word of the Lord. Let it come to pass, and we will believe you. And Jeremiah says, all right, keep the Sabbath and watch the Lord bless you. And they say, no, we're not going to do that. Well, then what do you expect? So again, let's put ourselves in Jeremiah's position here. Jeremiah is having a difficult time. In fact, I don't think there is any, any man, save the Lord, who had a more difficult ministry than Jeremiah. Not one convert the entire time that he was alive. He's praying and he's preaching for Judah to repent so that God can forgive and bless them. Not only does he have his own people doubting and mocking him, but he also has God telling him, you may as well stop praying. You may as well stop praying. A leopard would change his spots before Judah repents. Punishment has to come. That doesn't make sense to Jeremiah. God taught in his word, repentance brings forgiveness. Why does God keep saying that mercy isn't an option anymore? Why does God keep saying that they are past the point of no return? But with this message of the Sabbath day, God is answering that question by showing Jeremiah, the problem is not that my mercy has run out, but the people don't want my mercy. The problem is that it's not that I haven't kept my word, it's the people haven't kept theirs. They keep looking at me saying, I've broken the covenant. I haven't broken my covenant. They've broken their covenant with me. It's not that I don't want to forgive. It's they don't want forgiveness. How easy is it? Keep the Sabbath day. Take a day off. How easy is that? How many of you would love for your boss to say, day off, just choose a day of the week, day off, do nothing? How ignorant, how stubborn, how foolish would we have to be when God says, all you need to do is take a day off, hallow it, don't just think of me in that day. No. The problem is not that God didn't want to forgive. They don't want to repent. And he's going to prove it. Jeremiah keeps saying, why won't you let the people repent? And God's like, I, I, it's their choice. They don't want to repent. I'll prove it to you, Jeremiah. I'll prove it to you. Go to the potter's house. In Jeremiah 18, he says, go down to the potter's house. And Jeremiah goes to the potter's house. And he sees a work that's wrought on the wheels. And the vessel of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Did the potter throw the clay away? No, he made it again. 
He made the, he made the clay again. Look in verse uh, chapter 18. Verse 3, then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make it. Could God do exactly the same thing with Israel that that potter did with the clay? Certainly he could. God could easily make all of Israel into something beautiful again, but Israel didn't want to be remade. They loved the things the way that they were, didn't they? My people love to have it so. Look in verse 7 through 10. Here's God. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it? If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. If it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. Now here's where Jeremiah's eyes are going to be opened a little wider to the horrible state of his people. Jeremiah has been praying and pleading with God, give them a chance to repent let them repent, and in your word you promise if they repent that you will give them mercy. And God tells them in verse 11 and 10, okay, or 11 and 12, all right, Jeremiah, go right now and share this lesson of the potter in the clay with Judah. Tell them, just as that potter can remake that marred clay, I can make them again. Tell them that. Tell them that I am sending judgment, but if you repent right now, I can make you again. Look in verse 11. Now therefore go to, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. This is what Jeremiah has wanted, correct? A chance for them to repent. He tells them this is it. God can remake you again. Repent. Even though he has devised this evil, repent now. Look in verse 12. They said there's no hope. There's no hope, but we will walk after our own devices. And we will, everyone, do the imagination of his evil heart. That's a bad situation. Jeremiah has just pleaded, been pleading forever. Lord, give him a chance. All right, Jeremiah, here you go. Here's your chance. Tell them. Tell them right now, repent, and I'll change my mind. And they said, there's no hope. We're just going to keep on doing what we're doing. He had to learn a hard lesson that many of us struggle with today. When Jeremiah heard God repeatedly saying, stop praying, they're past hope, punishment is coming, it almost seemed to him that God was giving up because punishment hadn't come yet. God's word was still true. There was still time to repent. The people could choose at any moment to repent, and God would have to keep his word and forgive them. In Jeremiah's eyes, that brought hope, but in God's eyes... He saw that they were past all hope. And the people now are bringing this up to Jeremiah. Yeah, yeah, there's no hope. We're just going to keep on doing what we want. Remember what I told you about last week as far as God's sovereignty and our free will. The fact that God knows what we're going to do doesn't take away our free will. He just, knows our, he just knows his children. Just like you know your child if you were to set a choice of food in between them. It's their choice to choose, but you know your child. You know what they're going to choose doesn't take away their choice. You just know your child. God knew his children. 
And Jeremiah keeps saying, don't they have a choice? Yes, Jeremiah, they have a choice, but they're not going to choose it. Stop praying about it. Just tell them that punishment is going to come. So when it comes, they can't say no one warned them. That was hard for Jeremiah. Jeremiah was right in believing that repentance always brings mercy. Does repentance always bring mercy? Yes or no? Yes. Repentance always brings mercy. He was right in believing that. God is just trying to show him, Jeremiah, they've gotten to a point now where only punishment will bring repentance. Punishment has to come. That will bring the repentance. That will bring the mercy. Verse 13 through 17 of chapter 18. God says, not even the heathen are so foolish and hard-hearted. Even the heathen know not to forsake a source of water in the wilderness. And yet Israel has forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Verse 18, not only did the people reject Jeremiah's message of repentance, they begin to plot against him like God told them they would do. Let us smite him with the tongue and let us not give heed to any of his words. Jeremiah is being attacked on all fronts. So he prays for God to protect him from his enemies. He asks a question that shows the hurt inside of his soul in verse 19 uh, through uh, 23. But look in verse 20. Look at this question Jeremiah asked. Shall evil be recompensed for good? All I have done is love and pray and do everything I could to help these people. And look at how they repay me. Chapter 19, another sign is given to Jeremiah. It's a very simple sign. It's quite self-explanatory. Jeremiah is told to purchase a potter's vessel, no doubt at that same potter's shop that he was at. Purchase a potter's vessel, bring people out of the east gate of Jerusalem, preach against Judah's sin, and then he is told to smash the vessel on the ground and say, thus saith the Lord, even so will I break this people and this city. One of the men who hears this message is named Pasher. Pasher was the son of the priest and the chief governor of the temple. And chapter 20 tells us when Pasher heard Jeremiah's message of the smashed pot, that he smote Jeremiah. Now that, even, that either means he went up and open hand slapped him across the face or punched him or something, or it can mean that he went so far as to flog him or scourge him but we do know that he put him in the stocks. And the stocks were there at the entrance of the city to publicly humiliate criminals. So here's Jeremiah preaching God's word. The, the son of the priest and the chief governor of the temple comes up, smites him, puts him in, in stocks to publicly humiliate him. The next day, Jeremiah was released. He gives the same message with a little bit of extra flavor directed at Pasher. You should read it. It's quite humorous, actually. Uh, he says, I'm no longer going to call you Pasher. I'm going to call you something else. And that something else had a meaning to it. But once again, I want us to take time to think of the struggles that Jeremiah has faced in his ministry. And we're coming down to the end here. We're only going to get through chapter 20. So let's focus in here. And this is where we'll understand the application, if we're thinking right. Think of what Jeremiah is going through. Put yourself in this man's shoes. He is the only prophet declaring punishment right now when all other priests are declaring peace. I see people looking down at their Bibles. You're trying to figure out what Jeremiah called Pasher, didn't you? Let's just look it up. Then said Jeremiah unto him, The Lord hath not, in verse 3, The Lord hath not called thy name Pasher, but Magor Misabib, okay, here's your homework. Look that up, what it means. 
Okay? Pasher means something. Megor misabib means something opposite. Okay? So you can look that up later, but for now, let's go ahead and focus in right there. <laughs> All right. Miss Maria, do you know what it means already? Correct, okay, because Pasher, all right, we'll just give it out now. Miss, Miss Maria is the one in class who gives the answer to the test, you know, when everyone's still taking the test. Pasher, from what I understand, means, means peace, from what I, I, I think so, from what I, can, from what I can remember. And Jeremiah and all the prophets, or all the prophets are prophesying peace, peace. And so Jeremiah comes up and prophesies punishment, so Pasher comes up and smites him, and he says, from now on, I'm going to call you Megor Misabib, which means terror on every side. So that you will know from here on out, you will be reminded that you slapped me and you put me in the stocks when I told you that terror was about to come on every side. All right, now we can focus in. Everyone was looking like, what is it? What is it called? I'm glad, though. I'm glad that you're studying, and that's a good thing. He is the only prophet prophesying punishment when all the other prophets are prophesying peace. So think of just that, what that would bring to you. To be the only person telling the truth. And everyone else is telling falsehood. And everyone else is listening to the falsehood and not the truth. What would that do to your soul? How would that devastate your heart when you truly loved the people? Jeremiah wasn't one of those people, fine. I've done my duty, now it's on you. No, he, that, he wasn't that type of person. And we've seen that. The love he showed to his people is in no way reciprocated. It's not even appreciated. And again, maybe there are people that doesn't bother, that bother Jeremiah. Every message that he has preached to the people has been rejected. Every prayer he has sent to God has been rejected. His hopes of seeing his people repent are being crushed more and more with each passing day. He spends his days in tears, and yet at one point he says, I wish I could cry more. He can't help but think this is his fault. If I was a better man, if I was a better preacher, if I was a better prayer, maybe they would listen. Maybe they would hear me. That's why God had to tell them, Jeremiah, this is nothing against you. If Moses and Samuel were alive today, I wouldn't listen to them. He knows God is true, but he has moments where he feels God is lying. He knows God is right, but he has no idea what God's doing. He knows that God is just, but he can't see what God is seeing. He pleads and God rejects. He prays and God says, stop praying. He looks for hope. God speaks of judgment. He looks for forgiveness. God speaks of punishment for years. It's been like this. How are you doing, Jeremiah? And then think about this. Years, one pastor said, years with no wife to console him. God told him, don't get married. Years with no wife to console him, no children to cheer him, no friends to help him, no like-minded believers to encourage him. In fact, his own people are now publicly beating and mocking and punishing 
and humiliating him. And I want you to remember that when you read these next verses with me. Look in verse 7 of chapter 20. Jeremiah says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily, everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. I quit. Jeremiah says, I'm done. Every bit of trouble I have in my life is because of your word, and I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I won't do this anymore. I didn't sign up for this. Find someone else. Find someone else to say it. Find someone else for them to mock, but I'm done. Now, I don't know how long that lasted, but the next words were, but... His word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing. He just told the Lord, I forbear to speak in your name anymore. Find someone else. I don't know how long it was. I don't think it was long before he said, I was weary with forbearing. And I could not stay. You know what he's saying? I, I can't keep my mouth shut anymore. I've got to keep going. You know what Jeremiah is saying? I would quit if I could, but I can't. His word was in my heart. In verse 10 and 11, everywhere he looked, people were defaming him, he said. All of his fellow prophets saw how defeated he looked. After his incident with Pasher, he heard them saying among themselves, this is it, he's done. We've got him. We're finally going to get Jeremiah to keep his mouth shut. Look in verse 12. Or, I'm sorry, look in verse uh, 10. Report, say they, and we will report it. All my familiars watch for my halting, saying, peradventure he will be enticed, and we shall prevail against him, and we shall take our revenge on them. And for a moment, they were almost right. Because God said, Jeremiah said, God, you've deceived me and I was deceived. I will make no more mention of your name or speak any more in it. They were almost right. Until he remembered his word was in my heart as a burning fire. I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. And he says this. They may all be against me. In verse 11 though. But the Lord is with me. As a mighty and terrible one. Therefore, my persecutors shall stumble, and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, that triest the righteous, and seest the reins and the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them, for unto thee have I opened my cause. Sing unto the Lord, praise ye the Lord, for he hath delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of the evildoers. Cursed be the day wherein I was born. Whoa. Wait a second. That seemed to take a turn.
for the worse very quickly. The Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. He's he will deliver me. He will save me. Cursed be the day that I was born. From singing to wishing he'd never been born. From the heights of faith to the depths of fear. From belief to unbelief in a moment. But wait a second. Have you never been there? Have you never been there? Have you ever, not, have you ever felt like a ship in the midst of the sea? Taken up by a wave. Lord, everything is going to be fine. And then you come crashing down in the next moment. One hour you're praising, the next hour you're crying. And this is exactly what's happening to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was only human. Even the best of men are only men at best. This right here, chapter 20, was Jeremiah's breaking or making point. Right here. This was his crossroads. This was what I'll call his quitting time. But all one has to do is read a little into chapter 21 and see Jeremiah didn't quit. The Lord comes to him again and says, tell them thus saith the Lord, and he did. So here's the application. If you truly understand what Jeremiah was going through there, you will have quitting times too. The Christian life is not all roses and sunbeams. There are storms. Do you realize the Lord sent his 12 disciples into the middle of the Sea of Galilee and, and created a storm where they literally thought they were going to die? Jesus placed them there just so he could grow their faith. That is going to happen. You will have quitting times. You will have times when you are reproached by the world because... You stand for God's word. That's it. If you stop standing, they'll leave you alone. That's your choice. Jeremiah knew, if I just be quiet, they'll leave me alone. And you will come to that time. You will have times when you do not understand what God is doing with you. You will have times that you don't see what God is doing for you. You'll have times when friends forsake you and family shuns you and co-workers defame you, and neighbors mock you, and there will come a day when you want to say, I'm done with this. I didn't sign up for this. This is a battle that I am not able to fight. John Mark said that at one point. He forsook Paul and Barnabas and went back to Jerusalem. That happened right after Paul had a little bit of an altercation with a demon. Could you see John Mark think, I'm just, I, I, I just wanted to go on a missions trip. I just wanted to see the world. I didn't sign up for this. I'm going home. I believe he regretted that decision. If it was out of God's will, I certainly believe he regretted that decision. At that quitting time, at that moment, that will come to you. It will. At that moment... If the word of God isn't in your heart, if it isn't down deep, if the promises of this book aren't hidden deep within, if you do not have the light of the gospel as a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, if you don't have enough faith to trust that his word is true, you'll quit. And you'll walk out on God and you'll forsake him 
and you'll turn your back on all that you have learned, and you will stand before God because of it. The Bible talks, Jesus talks about a parable of a man sowing the seed of the gospel, and one of it lands on stony ground where there was not much earth. There was earth, but not a lot. Enough earth for the plant to spring up, but not enough for roots to go down deep. And on the outside, everything looks good. And it looks like that plant is growing just like all the other plants are growing. But then the sun comes up. And because they have no deepness of earth, they're scorched and they bring forth no fruit. Jesus says that's like somebody who hears the word of God and receives it with joy. But when persecution comes, they have no root in and of themselves. And by and by, they are offended and they leave. Church, we live in an offensive world. Our adversary is a very real devil that does not care about your feelings and does not care about kicking you when you're down. And when he sees that we do not have that root down deep, when that quitting time comes, he'll be all over you. You know the great thing about having rocks underneath the surface? You can get those out. Get the rocks out. There's good soil underneath there. Put your roots down deep. A chain is only as strong as its weakest link, and a, uh, uh, weakest link, and a Christian is only as strong as in the day of adversity. And the Bible says, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. The only thing that kept Jeremiah going was not his peers, he had none, was not his family, he didn't have family, was not the next generation of kids that he had, he had none, was not people who were saying, keep it up, Jeremiah, you have at least one person behind you. He had none. It wasn't even answered prayer, he had none. But he had God's word. In his heart is a burning fire, and he said, I cannot keep quiet, I'll keep going. But everyone's against me. Not everyone. God is with you. God will never let you stand alone when you're standing on the promises of his word. If you ever find yourself standing alone, you're not standing on his word. If God be for us, who could be against us? You, Christians, standing on the promises of God with God is a majority. You stand strong. But I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand what God is doing. If God would have told Jeremiah everything he was doing, Jeremiah's head would have exploded. And so would have we. Think of Job. Job says, I know God, and the God I know wouldn't do this. And God comes along, all right, Job, where are the storehouses of snow? I didn't even know that was a thing. Well, it is. We're never going to fully understand. But we have his word, and his word is true. But I'm weary. Okay. Being weary in well-doing, is that a thing? Yes. But being weary in well-doing is nowhere near the weariness that will come to your heart to forbear in doing what God has told you to do. 
Jeremiah was weary and forbearing, or I'm sorry, weary and well-doing to the point where he said, I'm done. But then he ended up saying, but I was weary with forbearing. I was more weary not doing what God told me to do than when I was weary doing what he told me to do. So I'm going to do what he told me to do. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Let me read this to you and we'll be done. The first statement here, a preacher told me once, most quitters were only weeks away from victory. Most quitters were only weeks away from victory. Don't you quit. Let me read this. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile, but instead you cry, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, and every one of us sometimes learns And many a failure comes about when he would have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Success is failure turned inside out. The silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell just how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when your hardest hit. It's when things seem worse than you must not quit. Get through your quitting times. Is the Lord still the Lord? Those people that may hurt you like Pasher, they weren't your everything before. Are they your everything now? Who is your everything? If your everything is the Lord, is he not still there? And if he's still there, don't quit. Trust in him. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.